Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. Okay. Whatever. It's the summer. You're relaxed. You're laid back. So, okay. Hey, it's great to see you. My name is Mel Maskey. I'm the lead pastor here at the Summit. I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, If you're a guest with us, if this is your first time, there's a card like this one in the seat back in front of you. I'd love for you to take just a moment and fill this card out for us. Uh, We'd love to get to know you a little bit. So if you would, fill this out and then drop it off at our info center at the conclusion of our worship experience. Stop by there. It's on the right-hand side out in the lobby. Go by there, drop this off. They're gonna answer any questions you might have about the summit. I'll leave that there. And uh, they're also gonna give you a free gift. It's one of our summit mugs. It's got our vision statement on there. It says, every life made different. Uh, That is what we're all about. That's why we exist, to see people change for God's glory. So uh, thank you again for being here today and worshiping with us. I also wanna welcome all of you that are watching online at summittogether.com, no matter where you may be or how you may be joining us. I pray that God blesses you as you worship with us today uh, from wherever you are. So thank you again for worshiping with us. If you wanna connect with us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by finding us at Indiana Summit Church. So search for us there. We'd love to connect with you and uh, let you find out what all is happening here at the Summit. So thank you for being here today. Uh, a couple things coming up that I want to mention to you. The first is immediately following the worship experience today, we're having a luncheon called Discover. It is for those of you that are new to the Summit. Maybe you've been here for a week or two. Uh, Maybe you've been here for a few months, but you've decided, okay, I want to find out more. Uh, I want to get to know the staff a little bit. I want to just find out how to get involved, whatever it might be. That is your next step. So if you've been here for a little bit and you're ready to to go a little further, uh, stick around following our worship experience today. We'll have lunch. Uh, We'd love to get to know you a little bit and answer questions that you might have about the summit as well. So stick around for that. I also want to let you know next weekend is our baptisms. So if you've never been baptized or maybe you were baptized as an infant, you were sprinkled as a child, whatever it might be, and you decide, hey, I want to be baptized on my own as an adult, uh, we'd love for you to do that. You can sign up at our info center or register on our website at summittogether.com. Let us know about that, and uh, we'll get you connected and get you plugged in, give you the information you need for that. Uh, But we also want to encourage you, invite everybody you know. Uh, Don't just get baptized, but let's make a public proclamation. Let's give them an opportunity to hear the gospel and see what God will do. So, uh, So join us next weekend for that, and make sure you sign up. Also want to let you know, uh, we've a couple of weeks ago I introduced you to Justin and Don Query, our new kids pastors, and hi Don, and uh, uh, they are doing a fantastic job already, building relationships and helping uh, build the team. Um, but I would need to let you know we've had a lot of questions about Summer XP. We'll be doing Summer XP. And uh, Summer XP is our version of VBS. It's VBS except better. And so um, we, we've done it for a few years, and it's been huge. And so the last thing I wanted to do to Justin, he came and we were talking about it. I said, why don't we hold off on doing Summer XP this year? Because one of the things at the summit, we don't want to do something if we can't do it well. We're not going to do something halfway. We want to do something really well with excellence or we're not going to do it. And so I just said, it might be hard for you to be here for five weeks and pull off an event for three to 400 kids, uh, a week-long event. So why don't, why don't we hold off this year? And so what we decided is we're not going to do Summer XP this summer, but uh, we are going to do it next year. We're taking this summer off, and next year we're going to do it bigger and better than ever. We're going to blow it out, and uh, you don't want to miss that. But if you're a parent and you've got kids that uh, do VBS, there's lots of VBSs available in our community. Uh, I would encourage you, uh, find one, get plugged into that, but, uh, but we'll be back next summer with Summer XP. 
I need to give you an update as well. Last week I had told you that, um, that we had, in regards to our building, we're, we're going to construct a kids and youth facility, 19,000 square foot, $3.5 million building. Uh, it's going to be spectacular. Uh, and I gave you an update last week and said, in regards to the building, we had marched the ball down the field and we were on the one-yard line ready to, ready to punch the ball across the goal line with a football metaphor. Uh, but I'm glad to tell you that uh, we'll be closing on our financing uh, on or before July the 6th, and we will be breaking ground then a week or two following that. So the middle of July, we'll be breaking ground on our facility, and so I'm excited about that. Um, At some point, I will share some of the just circumstances that God brought together, and it's just, uh, how many of you know when God is doing something, sometimes it's not fun to live through, but when you get to the other side, you look back and you go, okay, that's good, and that's kind of where we were. I had some frustrating times and a few nights where I was a little kind of wondering how God was going to work this out, and I'm so grateful for God, how God works things together and how God makes things happen, and um, I'm thankful for the delay because it really has been beneficial for the church, and it's going to be good for us, uh, especially in the long run. So um, I'll share some of that with you, but I'm so grateful for what God has done and what he's doing, Um, and it's happening largely because of generosity from people like you. You you say, hey, I believe in what God is doing. I want to sow into the kingdom, and then uh, then God does big things, so thank you for that. Um, I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you want to give, you can. there's an offering envelope that looks like this one in the seat back in front of you. It tells you all the different ways you can give and be involved. So you can give with cash by dropping in this offering envelope. You can give with a check by making a check out to the summit. Uh, you can give with a debit or credit card by going to our website, summittogether.com, hitting the give button at the top of the screen. It'll tell you how you can do that. Or if you want to give from your mobile device, all you have to do is text the word summit, PA, all one word, to 77977. And it'll tell you how you can text you're giving in as well. So we try to make it as simple as possible. So again, thank you so much for your generosity uh, and making what we do here possible. So thank you for partnering with us and uh, being faithful. Let me pray over the giving and then we'll move on. God, thank you so much for everything you've given to us. I pray that as we give back to you, we would see you work in our lives. Lord, I pray that as we exercise generosity, not just with our finances, but in every area of our life, let it reflect your kingdom to this world and let people see how good you are through that. So God, have your way among us. In your name we pray, amen. If you're new to the summit, um, I want to encourage you. There are offering boxes in the back of the room. We don't pass offering plates around or anything like that. So if you want to give, you can. But if you're a guest today, there is no pressure for you to give at all. A couple more things I want to mention to you real quick. Because of some transitions that are happening, our bookstore is going away. Um, we're actually relocating it and going to do some different things. And so we need to get rid of a lot of our inventory. And so we've got a huge sale in there right now. So uh, 50% off just about everything in the store. There's a few things that, that aren't on sale, but, uh, but stop by there following the worship experience today. Buy Dad a, a early Father's Day gift. There's some good stuff in there. Uh, pick that up, though, so it'll make my wife happy if we help get that cleaned out for her. Um, and then the last thing real quick is maybe as we've talked about Imagine and the building and some of the vision that's coming up, maybe you're here and you go, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I'm lost doesn't make sense. Uh, if you're new, if you've been coming, especially since the beginning of the year, maybe Christmas time, you might not have a full grasp on what, of, what all is happening. And we want to invite you to a night of vision. It's on uh, Thursday night, June 23rd at 7 p.m. You can sign up for that by stopping by our info center and picking up an invite like this one. We'd love for you to be there and just hear about what God is doing, what he has done, and what he's going to be doing. We're excited uh, to share that with you. We're excited about what God is doing, and we know that he is not done with us yet. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us. And if you're new, get signed up, get plugged into that. We'd love for you to be a part. 
Uh, we started a series last weekend called James. It's on the book of James. It was written by a guy named James. Uh, he's the brother of Jesus. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen because uh, we give an introduction kind of for the series and for the book specifically. Um, but we'll hit a little bit of that today, but not very much. But go back so you can get some of the context especially. But the book of James was written by the brother of Jesus. Uh, he was not a believer that Jesus was the Messiah until after Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. And that's when it clicked for James that, hey, maybe this thing is real. Maybe he's just not my, uh, my brother. Maybe he is actually the Messiah. Um, and so he became the head of the Jerusalem church, very important role. Um, and he wrote this letter to Christians who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire uh, just to encourage them, but also to help fix conflict that had risen up in the body. People were arguing about stupid things that they shouldn't have been, so he's trying to help them resolve that. But the theme of the book of James, and we'll see this especially today, is, <clears throat> is that James wants us, and ultimately God wants us, to live out our faith. That it's not good enough just to say we're a believer or say we're a Christian. It's not good enough just to simply go to church, but it, it has to be a point of action for us. Our faith has to lead to action. So we can't say things like, um, well, yeah, I do all kinds of crazy ungodly things, but my heart is right. Well, that doesn't make sense. Um, good water doesn't come out of a, a bad spring, right? If our heart is right, it's going to start to produce right actions in us. And so what James is saying is <clears throat> it's got to be more than just a belief system. It has to be a belief system that leads to action in our lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this is what it says in verse 19, that's where we'll pick it up today, and we'll finish uh, the first chapter. So if you're one of those people that wants to figure out when we're going to be done, it'll be a little bit. You can look and see. You can keep up. I promise. We'll be, we'll be done in the next hour and a half or so. Um, I'm kidding. We'll be done soon. Some of you are like, hey, I didn't sign up for that. I'm leaving. Uh, verse 19 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, one of the things we see here that's so important for us to understand is uh, James is laying this out. He's telling us how to resolve conflict. He's saying, basically, there's conflict in your church. Here's how you resolve it. Be slow to speak. Be quick to hear and be slow to anger. This is what you do. This is how you resolve this. Um, this would work in your marriage, too, if you want to apply it that way. Um, when I was a kid, my parents used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Did anybody ever, else ever hear that from your parents or a grandparent or something? They were basically telling you to shut your mouth, don't talk so much, uh, you need to listen more. And this is a good prescription for marriages, especially. If you've if you got conflict in your marriage and you want to resolve it, hey, stop talking so much and start listening. Because one of the problems we have as Christians, well, as people, as human beings, is we, we continually are pushing our agenda and trying to communicate what we want to communicate. We have an idea, and we want people to know about it. And I think social media has exasperated that because we all have a platform now. We have followers. We have people who are friends with us. So we've got a hundred or a thousand or two thousand friends on Facebook. And when we say something, they're subjected to our opinions. And so we've begun thinking that maybe our opinion is more valuable than we should. And so sometimes instead of hearing what someone's saying when we get into a discussion, all we want to do is, is win a discussion and win the argument. Have you been paying attention to politics at all? Now, I'm not going to wade into this, but I will tell you this. No matter whose side you're on, if you're on a side, uh, they're both a little ridiculous because it seems like all they want to do is just shout over the other one. 
So they'll raise their tone and it feels like they're just wanting to shout at each other. And sometimes marriages feel that way. Sometimes relationships feel that way. That they're not moving forward or taking ground, but they're just arguing. And what happens is, is we want to push our opinion and push our agenda. And sometimes, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, there's been times uh, in my life, especially in my marriage at times, when uh, I will hear my wife talking, but I'm, all I'm doing is preparing my response. I'm not really listening to her. Does anybody else, has that ever happened to anybody else? And then the worst thing happens, you're not really listening, you're preparing in your mind, and you're hearing, and you realize, oh no, she asked a question, right? The tone went up, so you know that's what it was, that was your clue, and then you have to decide what to say. Well, there's so many ways I could respond to that. I mean, really, what is the right answer? <laughs> I asked you what you wanted for dinner. What is the right answer? I mean, who knows? Who can say, right? Then you're trying to cover. But too many times we get into that habit of just simply reloading so that we can fire away. We're not really listening. And what James is saying is it's not enough just to be ready to respond, but it, it, we have to hear what they're saying. We have, to, uh, we have to empathize with what they're saying. We have to try to put ourselves in their position so that we can understand because it's not just about winning an argument. It's about winning a relationship. And too many people in this world are more worried about winning an argument than they are winning a relationship. They're more worried about losing an argument than losing a relationship. They would rather win an argument and, and break up a relationship and we see that in churches, we see it in marriages, we see it in relationships, and James is saying that is the wrong mindset. And in fact, he talks in the book of James about the world's mindset versus God's mindset, how the world thinks versus how we should think. And what he's saying is we're drawing a line. That's not how we should think. We should be focused on relationships and restoring and, and being together, and we should be more focused on that than we are in winning an argument. But, but sometimes we don't think that way. The next verse goes right together with this. It says in verse 21, therefore, so he says, because of everything I just said, therefore, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, you might look at this verse and go, well, wait a second. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not perfect, but I mean, I wouldn't say I've got rampant wickedness in my life. Or filthiness, Filth, that seems pretty strong language, doesn't it? Like, I'm not filthy. I mean, I make some mistakes sometimes, but I'm not filthy. But this is the thing. When you're looking at that previous statement, when you're talking about winning a fight versus winning a relationship, the heart in me that drives me to try to win a fight at the expense of relationships at times, when I look at that and I examine that, that's pride in me. Pride is ultimately wicked. The, the, the pride that I'm better and I'm, I'm superior. And I can win this. I'm, I'm smarter than you, so I'm not gonna let you win this fight. That's wickedness in my heart. And what God wants to do is drive that out. He wants to push it aside. He wants to marginalize it. He, he wants to eliminate it. In fact, it says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. When you get home from the grocery store, you bring your groceries in, you set them on the counter, uh, and you don't just leave them on the counter, do you? You, you put them away. 
Maybe that's a chore for your children. Maybe that's something you do. Maybe your, your spouse helps you with it. Whatever the case is, they don't stay on the counter, do they? Because, well, the milk's going to go bad, and the eggs won't be very good, and, and uh, cottage cheese. Well, cottage cheese looks like it's spoiled anyway, so maybe you could leave it out, and it would be just fine, right? It's gonna, it looks like it's all curdled anyhow. So, but you put the stuff away. You, you put the cereal away. You put the things where it belongs. And this verse has the same connotation, the same idea that we take filthiness and we take a heart that's wrong and we put it away. The rampant wickedness, we put it away. Where does it go? Where it doesn't belong in me. So I'm going to put it where it belongs. I'm going to get it as far away from me as I possibly can. I'm going to put it in its proper place. I'm not going to let it take root in me. I'm not going to let it thrive in me. He goes on to say, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, the implanted word, it has the connotation of uh, planting a tree or, um, or, or, you know, you dig out a hole and you put a tree with the, root, with the root ball in. That's the idea that it's trying to communicate. Now, when it says the word, it, it could be two things. It can be talking about specifically Jesus, who was the word. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. It's talking about Jesus. But then it's also talking literally about the word of God. So the word of God is placed in us when we open up our hearts and lives and say, God, I want you in my life. I want to welcome you. I want to receive you as Lord. What we do is we open up our hearts, and, and God deposits Jesus in us. We receive that in our heart, and he's planted in us. Now, I've talked about this a little before, but we see throughout Scripture, often our growth, our spiritual growth is compared to uh, agriculture. Now, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us today because uh, there's not a ton of farmers in our church. But it makes a lot of sense when you think about it because in the world we live in today, we want instant results. We go, okay, I'm going to give my life to the Lord and I want him to fix my marriage now. Like, that seems reasonable, right? Why don't you do that? Well, because your heart is you're redeemed, but there's still a process to it, right? Like we're not where we need to be. We've got still growing us and developing us, but we want instant results. We go, okay, I want you to fix my problems now. And well, that's not necessarily how it works because God's working in you trying to make you right, right? But what agriculture shows us is that there's a process and it's a long process at times. Does anybody have a garden in here? Do you have a garden? If you do, raise your hand real high. Okay, some of you, five of you have a garden. So now you know who to be friends with this summer. So... Hey, buddy, what do you got, tomatoes? That's a lot of tomatoes, too many tomatoes for you to eat. I know somebody who likes tomatoes, though, right? You, you can do that if you want to. But this is the thing. My dad has this garden. Um, and when we lived near them, they kept us stocked up with food. And so what I saw was the produce. I saw the production of the garden. I saw the fruit of the garden. So I would see corn and tomatoes and cucumbers. And I would see all that stuff. But what I didn't see was the process that went into cultivating the garden, so I knew my dad worked year-round almost to make sure the soil conditions were right, to make sure the ground was prepped, to make sure the, the, the geese and the different animals stayed out once he had planted. Um, so he did all this work, all this prep, getting the soil ready, planting the seed, cultivating, making sure it grew correctly, all these different things in order to get to the point where fruit was, was produced. But all I saw was the fruit. But there's this long process of growth and development and hard work. And this is what we have to understand when it comes to our spiritual growth. It is not a linear process. And we wish it happened easily, but it doesn't happen easily. It's work and it's effort. And God works in us, but it's painful at times to let God work in us and change us and grow us. But that's what James is talking about. And this is what we see the process of like whenever the implanted word comes in us. Because we want to put away all filthiness. 
But sometimes it's a process where God works in us and develops us and helps us. See, it's, it's hard in relationships to put away filthiness and, and, uh, and wickedness, right? Because, man, we want to be right. And my opinion is right. And I know um, marriages is tough. But even in our church, you know, our church is very diverse, and you look around, and our, it's a reflective of our community. Our community is largely Caucasian, right? Um, and so we have different ethnicities in our body and different ethnicities in our church. But even among the people who are white in our body, there's a lot of diversity because we have, we have very young people, and we've got very old people. We've got, um, we've got people who come from very meager backgrounds and we, uh, financially, and then we have people who are, are better off, they have more money. We've got people who own their own business and people who um, work, uh, you know, have worked the same job their whole life. We've got people who, I mean, everything you can imagine, every conceivable background we have in this church. And I love it. I love the diversity of our church. But there's a challenge with that because we all bring our own background. We all bring our own ideas and we all bring our own thought of what uh, church should look like and church should be. And as great as our worship team is, I love our worship team. There are people in our church that goes, you know, they say well, worship might be a little better if we sang hymns. And it's not that they want hymns, but they want like the funeral dirge hymns, right? They want the slow pipe organ. That's what they want. And that's the, that's, that's the best idea. That's what they think. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with hymns. I grew up singing hymns. In fact, when my girls were little, I used to sing them hymns to help them fall asleep at night. So they still know in the garden. And um, gosh, there's so many of those old hymns that I would sing to my girls when they were trying to fall asleep at night. And then there's people on the other end of the spectrum. They go, Mel, we like the music at the summit. We just wish it was a little peppier. We just wish it was a little more rock. We, you know, what we wish is that um, maybe there was hazers and smoke and LED lights and lasers. And we want it to be like a Led Zeppelin laser light show. That's what we want. And so you've got these people on one end. You've got the funeral dirge people on the other. And, and there's no way to make them both happy. Unless we did Funeral Dirge, Led Zeppelin, Laser Light Show, maybe. I don't know how that works. We've got people that say, Mel, it's too hot in the auditorium. I wish it was cooler. We've got people that say, I keep my blanket in there because it's so cold all the time. Right? We've got all of our own opinions and ideas and thoughts, but this is what happens. And this is the picture James is trying to paint for these churches that are in conflict. He says, what we do is we set aside the heart that would cause us to say, I'm right and you're wrong and I just wanna win. And say, you know what, I don't have to be right. We're gonna agree to disagree. And we're gonna love each other in spite of uh, our differences. And this is what I love about our church. We've got all these different variety and all these different ideas and all these different backgrounds. But in spite of that, we say, I'm willing to lay down my preferences for the good of the kingdom because I love the people I'm around and I love what God is doing here. So there's something that's more important than my preferences. And this promotes healthy relationships. Now apply that to your marriage and see what happens. Start saying, you know what, I'm gonna lay down some of my preferences because I love you and I love this marriage. I want a healthy marriage. So I'm gonna lay some of my preferences down and see what happens. It promotes healthy relationships. And that's what we see in this body. That's what we see God doing. That's what his desire is. He goes on in verse 22 to say, listen to this, it's really important, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So he's saying, if you only hear the word, you're deceiving yourself. 
He goes on to say, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. Now, I would imagine you are a relatively normal human like me. You probably have a mirror in your house. Is there anybody that doesn't have a mirror in their house somewhere? Okay, you're all handsome and good-looking people, so I figured you had a mirror somewhere, right? Um, You've got a mirror in your house. Why does that mirror exist? It exists so you can look at yourself and get an idea of what your condition is, right? Sometimes the, the, the condition you get is not very pretty. You wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and it's like, oh my gosh, like, oh, I had no idea I looked like this, right? You're like, why is that sagging? And that is not supposed to look like that, and this is not in the right place, and oh my gosh, so those croutons in my eyes, right? Your hair is all over the place, and it's a mess. And, and you look in the mirror, and the purpose is you can go, now I gotta get, put things in the right order. I gotta get things right. The condition is not the way I want it to be, and so let's correct the condition, okay? My wife, um, she hates it when I'll say, like, we'll, we'll maybe be at the house and we'll just be hanging out a little bit and maybe she hasn't really gotten around. I'll go, hey, why don't you run with me to da-da-da-da-da? She goes, oh, I don't want to. Well, how come? Well, I'm, I'm not ready and we're gonna see somebody. Oh, we're not gonna see anybody we know. That's a kiss of death, by the way, right? Because then you're gonna see 15 people you know before you pull out of your driveway. So she'll put on a ball cap and we'll go and inevitably we're gonna see people. Now, does she look bad? No, I think she looks great. I wouldn't let her leave the house if she looked bad. But, but she looks at herself and goes, oh, this isn't the condition that, that I wanna put forth. This is not, this is not the condition I, I, I wanna be. So I need to fix things. I need to change things. Does that make sense? And so this is what James is saying. He's saying the people who hear but then don't act on what they hear are like, the person who looks in the mirror and then forgets what they look like when they walk away. The person who looks in the mirror and goes, oh my gosh, wow, I need to do some stuff here. This is a mess. And then they walk away and forget what they look like. See, none of us, none of us would roll out of bed, throw on some sweatpants and go to work in the morning without looking at ourselves in the mirror. Hopefully we wouldn't. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? You're standing there and Jim walks into the office and Jim looks scruffy and he's got a, a dust and flies are all around him and Jim approaches you and, hey, Bob, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing good, Jim. Jim, Jim what, what, is, what does that smell? I don't smell anything. Jim, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's your breath. Did, did you eat a dirty diaper for breakfast this morning? Because that's what it smells like, Jim. Well, you know, I, I know I needed to brush my teeth, but I, I didn't. Well, how, how come? Well, I mean, it's hard. Okay, fair enough. I, it's tough. The water and the it's yeah. No, I get it. What, what about what about your your hair and your your like jacked up tattered t-shirt? Like, how come you're wearing that? Well, I mean, I know I needed to get dressed and fix my hair, and uh, but you know what? It's it's uh, it, it's difficult, and I need God to help me. So I just uh, yeah, I'm doing the best I can here, man. Don't judge me. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but uh, we're gonna need to send you home so you can change your shirt, right? Like, why don't you run a comb through your hair? Like, mix in some Listerine once in a while. It would help you, right? And as ridiculous as that sounds, some of us do that spiritually. 
We look at ourselves in the spiritual mirror and we go, oh God, I know there's some things you wanna change. And God, I know you wanna end this relationship because it's preventing me from becoming the man or woman of God that you want me to be. And I know it's unhealthy and I know it's holding back. And God, God, I know that there's this habit. I know that there's this addiction. I know that there's these things in my life that you wanna break off. But man, God, it's hard and it's difficult and it's work. And I, I don't feel like doing it. We walk away. See, we, we, we identify our condition. We know what needs to happen, but then nothing happens. We don't do anything about it. And the thing that, that is crazy is um, our world is dying not from a lack of biblical knowledge, but from a lack of biblical application. It's not that we don't know what we're supposed to do. It's that we just don't want to do it. It's, it's not a mystery how we grow spiritually. We know well, you surround yourself with godly people. You, you, you pour the word of God into your life. You read the word. You, you hear the word. You, you read your Bible. You, um, you pray. Those are foundational. Like That's not a mystery. Most of us know that. The problem is none of us want to do it, right? I mean, gosh, it's hard to wake up early and read my Bible, or it's hard to stay up late, or it's hard to read it over my lunch break. It's, it's hard to pray. I, I get it but we know what we need to do. We just don't want to do it. But let's apply this in other areas of our life. Is it a mystery how to have a healthy marriage? I think we all basically know, like, try to get along with each other. Don't be so selfish. Don't be a jerk, right? Like, that's not a mystery. We should know these things. In fact, one of my favorite passages is in the book of Ephesians, and, and I'll paraphrase it, but it basically says, husbands, love your wives sacrificially. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then there's this, this thought that basically like, like the apostle Paul kind of dusts his hands off like, okay, do I need to say anything else? Because if I will love my wife sacrificially and she will submit herself to me and respect me, at the end of the day, we're probably gonna have a pretty healthy marriage. If I will stop being a selfish jerk, like that's gonna help our marriage, right? It's not a mystery. I know what to do, but I still have to battle being a selfish jerk. Does that make sense? Financially, come on, do, do, is there a mystery how, how we accumulate wealth? No, well, we spend less and we save more. We resist urges to get Taco Bell at 10 o'clock at night on our credit card and then pay it off, pay off an 89 cent burrito for the next five years at 30% interest. <laughs> it's not a mystery. Rich people aren't playing the lotto, right? Like we know what we need to do, but we just, don't want to do it because it's hard. Health, hello. I know how to get skinny. Skinny people aren't keeping it from me. I know, right? I eat less. I exercise more. I get it. I just don't want to do it. I know, but there's no application. Does that make sense? And by the way, for the record, I've eaten the Meadows a lot less this year. So when peanut butter Oreo swirl comes around, I'm hitting it. But other than that, like I've been laying off the Meadows. So just so you know, I'm, I'm doing my part. So what do we do? Well, we have to apply what we know. It's not enough to just simply know something. We have to do something. So when we look in the mirror and we see our condition, it doesn't do us any good if we go, wow, I need to do something about that. And then don't do anything. We have to take action. We look at scripture, and scripture is all about action. It's all about God doing something in us that produces action outside of us. And this is what we have to understand. This is what we have to do. We have to take action. We have to apply scripture. We have to apply what we know for it to work. 
See, I, I was speaking to someone, a couple of us were talking to this person a few weeks ago. This person had messed up, and they had, um, I mean, they had messed up big time. And this person said to us, they said, if I had just remembered how badly it hurt to mess up last time, I wouldn't have done it again. What was this person saying? They were saying, if I would have remembered how badly it hurt me, if I would have remembered how badly it hurt those around me, when I messed up like this before, I would have never, ever, ever let myself get into a position to do it again. What this person was saying is, I forgot what my condition was. Were they forgiven? Absolutely, God forgave them. God redeemed them. But there were still some things that needed to be dealt with that they didn't deal with, so they walked away. They felt like, hey, I'm doing better. I'm going to church. I, I, I can allow myself to get into some old relationships or do some old things, or uh, it's gonna be okay now because I'm better. What they forgot was their condition wasn't ready for them to get there yet. Does that make sense? So they forgot. They walked away from the mirror and they forgot what their condition truly was. So what we have to see is there has to be knowledge married with application to see change happen in our lives. Verse 25 says this, but the one who looks, and listen to this, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, this is important because so many of us look at Scripture as a, a, a list of do's and don'ts. It's a rule book, basically. Has anybody ever read a rule book before and is like, that's some good reading, right? You're like, the official list of rules for softball in the United States. You're like, no, thank you. I'll figure it out. Rules are no fun. We don't like it. And when we think of the law of liberty, we think of freedom in the law. You go, well, I don't have freedom in the law. Like, I tried driving 85 through Indiana, and I got pulled over, right? They towed my car. Uh, that, there's not freedom in the law, but there is freedom in the law. Because we look at Scripture, and we go, it's restrictive. It's trying to take away our fun. It's just trying to tell us what to do. It's this old book of rules, and it's trying to rule my life 2,000 years later, and I can't believe it. Like, you hear those kind of arguments, but that's not the case at all, because really when you look at Scripture, it is trying to direct us to get the most out of, the, to help us get the most out of our lives. It's not trying to restrict our lives, it's actually trying to free us to live our best life we could. Um, oh, when, when Kim and I got married, um, we got a toaster oven. Actually, we got several toasters. Um, so you might have been the same way. You got a toaster when you got married. I guess that's just a deal. You're you got to make toast now that you're married. So um, so we got a toaster. And it's interesting because it either says it on the, on the cord, there's a tag, or if, it, if it's a fancy toaster, maybe you got a box with the instruction manual. And the instruction manual is important in case you don't know how to plug it in and push a button down. So the instruction manual tells you, gives you the restrictions. One of the things it says in the instruction manual, it's really important, is that you never make toast while you're sitting in the tub, Right? It's important to know, and it makes sense because if you do that, you're going to have soggy toast, and who wants soggy toast, so don't do that. No, the real reason is you will die. You will be electrocuted and die because you're making toast in the tub, and really, if you need somebody to tell you that, maybe we could thin the herd a little bit, right? Like, maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is service three, so I'm just, it's, it's all coming out of me now. So what does that mean? It means... Don't put the toaster in the tub with you, right? You're going to die. Don't do it. Now, it doesn't matter how old your toaster is, how old that manual is. You can look at it and go, well, think, man, that thing was printed in 1980. Things have changed a lot since 1980. We've got the internet now. We've got all this knowledge. We've got all these things. Conditions have changed. Situations are different. And surely 
it's not any good. It's not applicable today because it was written in 1980. Life has changed since 1980, right? There are people in this room who, who have no idea what life was like in 1980 because they were 10 years away from being born or 15 or 20. Oh, gosh, I'm old, right? But it doesn't matter that the manual's written in 1980. Do you know why? Because the principles are still true. Water still conducts electricity. So if you drop a toaster in the water and it's plugged in, you're gonna die. It's that simple. And nobody will rail against the toaster industry. I can't believe the toaster industry is trying to rule our lives with this book of rules. It's trying to tell us not to toast, toast in, the, in the tub. I'm gonna do it. Who do they think they are telling us not to put a toaster in the tub? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna live my life the way I want. No, they're not trying to rule your life. They're trying to help you not be dead, right? Don't be stupid. Just do what it wants you to do. But we approach scripture like that. God's trying to restrict me. And God's trying to take away our fun. No. God's trying to help you not be dead. He's trying to help you live your life to the fullest to get the most out of it. Years ago, when I was youth pastoring in Austin, Texas, I did this, um, I would do these abstinence courses in public schools. Now, I couldn't talk about God uh, in the Bible, but we would talk about um, the pros and cons of abstinence before marriage. And so we made it very clear, hey, the best way for you to be healthy in your life is for you to abstain from premarital sex. And so we would talk very directly and very bluntly, and we had images of consequences and all kinds of things. And um, so we'd go through this class, and it would be usually a three-day course, and I would teach in these health classes. And one of the things we tried to communicate to students is sometimes they think, if I can't have sex, it's restrictive, Right? That's, that's just rules and it's trying to, trying to control me. And that's not the case at all. Because the consequences of those actions are unintended pregnancies or unplanned pregnancies. They are uh, sexually transmitted diseases. And, and in the slideshow that we would show students, we had pictures of sexually transmitted diseases that were from students in that school district. And it was horrifying. And so what we were trying to communicate to them was, no, um, saying I'm going to be abstinent isn't restrictive. And in this case, us saying, God, I'm going to submit to your word, it doesn't restrict us from having fun. But what it does is it frees us to live the best lifestyle we possibly could. Because I'm thankful that, that if we live our life according to God's word, if you abstain from premarital sex before marriage, guess what? You don't have to worry about sexually transmitted disease. You don't have to worry about pregnancies. You don't have to worry about the consequences. So it frees you. Does that make sense? I had one of my very best friends. He uh, lived a promiscuous lifestyle um, through high school. And he got saved, went to Bible college, and he's a minister today. But he uh, found out after he and his wife had been married for a while, she had kept herself pure and never engaged in premarital sex. And, and they found out after marriage that she had contracted a sexually transmitted disease. And there was only one place she could have gotten it, and it was from her husband. And the particular disease she got uh, causes infertility in women. And my friend was heartbroken, and he was just, just beside himself because he said, I, I can't believe I was so selfish. You know, the actions I took um, could be impacting my marriage today. You know, something I did 15 or 20 years ago was impacting me today. And this is the thing. If we will look at the word of God as the law of liberty, instead of something that's just a rule book, it really does free us to live a life 
that's, that's liberated and set free. And this is what James is trying to get us to do is to see the word of God the way we should see the word of God. That it's trying to help us and trying to help us live a fulfilled life instead of just trying to restrict us and restrain us. That's what God wants to do. He wants to set us free. Verse 26, it says this. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but, de- but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And I've said this before, but I've never preached a message that was for you. I've, every message I've ever preached was for me. And maybe you would get something out of it too. Uh, man, when I get to this verse, it's, it's a punch in the gut for me because um, I like to make people laugh and I like to make jokes. And sometimes it's at the expense of someone's feelings. Or sometimes I'll say something that's insensitive or, you know, I never intend to hurt somebody, but I realize that my words have weight and there's consequences to some of the things I say or do. And so when I read a verse like this, it says if we can't even bridle our tongue or control our tongue, our religion is worthless and it's, it's heavy. Because what James is trying to say is um, when it comes to relational health, our words matter. Our words are important. And if, if we really care about relationships, we would, should care enough to, to bridle our tongue, to control our tongue, to keep it under control so we're not saying stupid things or thoughtless things uh, and damaging relationship. Because it doesn't matter what we do, how many times we attend church, if we still gossip, if we still lie, if we still um, say rude things or we say hurtful things, it does not matter what we do or what we say we believe. If we can't even control our tongue, our religion is worthless. He goes on to say in verse 27, he, so he talks about a worthless religion, but then he brings that back in verse 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, listen, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what is religion that is pure and undefiled before God? And notice he didn't say, you're gonna stop going to rated R movies. You're gonna stop smoking. You're gonna stop using curse words, you're gonna, these are the things you're gonna do if you want pure and undefiled religion. What does he do? He starts with relational stuff. Did you notice that? You're gonna take care of people who are marginalized and needed. You're gonna take care of widows and orphans in their affliction. You're gonna come alongside them and help them and support them and assist them and encourage them and you're gonna bless them. That's what pure religion is. Oh yeah, and also, you're gonna keep yourself undefiled from the world. But what we've done so many times is we flip that around and we go, okay, if I, if I wanna be a good Christian, I gotta stop doing this and this and this and this and here's all the things I have to stop doing and I'm gonna have to get right and I just gotta be nicer and I'm gonna you know, stop kicking the neighbor and, or kicking the dog's neighbor or kicking the neighbor's dog or whatever it might be. I'm gonna stop kicking things, right? And here's, here's how my behavior's gotta change. But what we have to understand is It's not simply about behavior modification. It's about saying, God, I'm submitted to you. When we submit ourselves to God, he begins to shift our hearts. Remember, it's a process. It doesn't happen quickly, but it's a process, and God begins to shift our hearts, and all of a sudden, we're not as concerned about, man, I just gotta stop sinning as we are about, man, there's needs in people around me. How can I help, and how can I serve, and how can I bless? You know, there's people that are in need that I I can come alongside, and I don't have a lot, but I have some time. I don't have a lot of money, but maybe I can serve them or help them. And as we let our heart be submitted to God, he begins to, to fix the peripheral stuff. We don't have to worry as much about sinning and not sinning because God is bringing that into alignment. God's bringing that in correct, into correction. But I love it because he said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to go and help them, to go and serve them. That's one of the reasons I was so proud of our team that went uh, to El Salvador this week. They left on Saturday morning real early, and, um, and I just told them. On Thursday night, we had a night of prayer, and I just told them how proud I was of them for their generosity, that they'd be willing to, to set aside time and set aside money and go do something that was really uncomfortable to help people that desperately need it. Um, a big portion of the people that live in El Salvador live on under $2 a day. And we're able to go and partner with the church and help build a building and help encourage a pastor and help bless them to do the work of ministry so that they can see every life made different in El Salvador. And that's the work of God. That's true religion, serving and blessing and partnering with somebody who's been marginalized. See, it's easy for us to say we're a Christian. It's easy for us to say that I go to church. It's easy for us to say I believe in God. But it's another thing to look in the mirror and go, okay, but there's some hard things that need to change. There's some things that need to happen. And I'm gonna be willing to do that. Action's tough. If it wasn't, everybody would do it. If action wasn't hard to do, wouldn't we all be healthy physically? Wouldn't we all be healthy financially? Wouldn't our marriages all be great? But it's hard to take action. When it comes to our spiritual life, it's time for us to take action. It's time for us to stop looking in the mirror and not doing anything about it. We have to do something about it. We have to let God do something about it. That's my challenge to you today. Don't just look in the mirror and walk away. Look in the mirror and say, God, what do, you, what do you want to change about me? What do you want to change about my heart? What do you want to change about my life? And then submit ourselves to God to let him do the work. Help, let him help you do the work that you need to do as well. Let's pray together. God, I love you. And I'm thankful that you love us exactly like we are, but you love us too much to leave us where we are. So God, I pray today the people in this room wouldn't just be satisfied, wouldn't say we're good enough, but God, let us look intently in the spiritual mirror and help us see what needs to change. And God, I pray that you would help us make the changes we need to make. But God, let our hearts be open to you so we can allow you to make the changes you wanna make as well. So God, I pray for people in this room that are struggling right now. Lord, the Spirit is convicting them about relationships, about habits, about addictions, about circumstances that they can change. God, I pray that you give them the power to make those changes. Lord, let them not be satisfied with their current condition, but God, let them recognize what needs to happen and what needs to shift and change. God, I pray that they would become people of action, that they would move forward and not be satisfied with just the status quo. God, I pray that you would minister in marriages today, that you would heal marriages, Lord. You'd help us put away all, all filthiness and wickedness, God, so that we can have healthy relationships with those around us. We can have healthy relationships in our church, in our relationships, in our marriage, God. I pray for healthy marriages in this house. God, I pray a blessing on this place. Now, if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And I just want to ask you today, if you're here today, you say, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving Jesus or serving God. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not walking with the Lord, but I know I need to be. I know there's some things that need to, in me that need to change. And I've been reluctant to make those changes, but I know I need God in my life, first of all. That's the biggest change I need to make. I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you come forward. I wanna pray with you where you are, though. So if you're here today and you say, that's me, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I need to make that change first of all. Would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it so I can pray with you? If that's you, would you put your hand up real high and just let me pray with you today? If you say, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life, thank you, up in the balcony. Anybody else say, that's me, pray for me. 
Thank you. Down here by the camera. Thank you, ma'am. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Join these. Thank you. Up in the balcony in the back. Thank you, sir. Praise God. Thank you. Another hand up in the balcony on my left. Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Awesome. Awesome. All right, I'd like everyone in the room to repeat this prayer after me, whether you raised your hand or not. Say this prayer out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing me. I'm tired of being like I've been. Change my heart. Change my life. Use me for your glory. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. I am yours, and I commit to chase after you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Praise God. Hey, at the summit, I, I like, we like making things simple, and so we want to do something really simply. If you're here and you prayed that prayer, I want you to fill this card out. It's in the seat back in front of you. Um, let us know about the decision you made today, and we want to help you take the next step. It's a journey. The reason people hire personal trainers is not because they don't know how to lift weights. It's because they need somebody to help them be disciplined enough to lift weights and to get healthier, right? Um, and that's what we want to do. We want to help you take the next step. We want to help you grow in your faith. So, so we want to be your spiritual trainer. We want to help you take the next step. So fill this card out. Drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today, and we're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So thank you so much for being here. This is the thing. These guys are going to lead us in one more song of worship. As they do, our prayer team is on either side of the stage. If you need prayer for any reason, we're available, and we want to agree with you in prayer. If you're here today, maybe God has convicted you about some things that you know you need to change or some things you need to do, some steps you need to take, I want to encourage you to step out from your seat and let us agree with you in prayer about that. No matter what the case is, though, we want to agree with you. As we're worshiping together, I think the Holy Spirit has probably communicated something different to just about everybody in the room, communicated what you needed to hear. And as we're worshiping in this last song, let's, let's think about that and ask God, God, how would, how would you have me apply this to my life? What do you want me to do? What changes do you want me to make? And then ask him to help you make those changes. I believe God's going to do it. Stand to your feet all over the room. We're going to worship together one more time. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have an incredible day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.